I'm ready too. Well, my gut feels kind of uh, gutty. Yeah, gutty. Like I drank too much coffee or something. Mm. You know how much that concerns me? None, because it doesn't. Because it's not me. We're gonna drink more water. It's not me. If it was me, I'd go. You know what? My my gut feels funny, and uh, this is pretty serious. But oh, yeah. but since it's not me, it's like who the fuck? Cares? Yeah. <laughs> you tell me you're feeling these uh, things. How am I to know? Perhaps you have other reasons for saying this. Perhaps you feel that I care, and I don't. <clears throat> that's that's the problem. That's the thing you didn't think about. You can't possibly try to get sympathy because I have none. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just do the show. How, how's that? Let's do the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds from the 70s with Gary and Rob. Known in France as Le Poupée. Le Poupée. <laughs> also known in English as Le Poupée. Well, the poop. <laughs> <laughs> we are coming to you from a shack out of the wilderness where it is so cold outside uh, that the people in town told us that if we do a show tonight, we would not make it out live. <laughs> That's how cold it is in the country. Mm-hmm. So here we are. Because I don't like threats. <laughs> They're going to threaten me that if I do a show, I'm going to die, then I'm going to do a show. They shouldn't threaten you. No, they shouldn't. If they just point out the facts, and they just say, it's dangerous, you could die. Yeah, I just think they're joking. You know what I mean? Like, I yeah, think, I guess you wouldn't take them seriously. But then one, the one time that they are serious, uh, you, you, you die. Yeah, it, so, sounds, oh, it sounds like a whole lot of crying wolf. Oh, I love that band. <laughs> wolf, <laughs> crying wolf in the seventies. Crying remember? wolf, yeah, yeah. he do those blues songs. Oh, he was so good. Crying wolf. <laughs> and he quit music and started up that circus of wolves. <laughs> <laughs> now on today's show, we will be celebrating the life and career of the late Olivia Newton-John, and we will be reviewing her 1978, oh, 1978 album, totally hot, hot. Totally hot. Um, that's how the song goes, by the way. I didn't it sing is. it like her, but uh, I can't. There's a few songs out of my head. Unfortunately, <laughs> with this album, I is like hot. Totally hot. <laughs> <laughs> First off, though, and this is always important. This is always one of the most important parts of our show. If not the most important. No, it's not. Oh, <laughs> it's not even close to the most important part of our show. <laughs> this is the medical update. Oh. On your beloved hosts. Now, um, we always like to keep our audience in the know on how we are doing, even though I doubt that they care much. In fact, I doubt they care at all how we're doing. Well, that's part of the appeal of this segment. As it is, I think, <laughs> is forcing them to listen to this. Uh, now, even though I, I paused a second because uh, Rob kind of blew my timing on yeah, this, I <laughs> I'm notorious for that. So I'm, gonna, I'm doing it now. I, I don't. I don't think they care very much, in fact, about this at all. As they used to say in World War II, though, to our audience, a tough titty. Uh, <laughs> now, just to sidetrack for a bit, 
You may be saying to yourself, how did, Rob, say to yourself, how did, <laughs> did how did that phrase tough titty tough come titties. into being? Yeah, I know a few phrases, but not that one. I will, I'm going to tell you, Rob. Did you look this one up or did you just? I looked this one up. I looked, I looked for tough titty first in the porn section. <laughs> and then I just said, maybe I should look for some information. So, uh. The Allied soldiers in World War II, fighting in Europe, especially France, right, would go, uh, would get like a, they get like sometimes a two or three day furlough and go into Paris, or as they would call it uh, back then, Petty. Petty. Thank you. As, and they would amuse themselves, well, not in that way, but they would amuse themselves <laughs> with drinks. And ladies that you pay for. You know ladies that you pay for. Uh, all of them. <laughs> yes, in some way or another, I guess <laughs> all you do. All of them, yes. But since uh, this was a war, there was not a lot of heat in many apartments or houses. So when the soldiers would be getting their groove on, as they would, they wouldn't say it back then. We and say they would now. be uh, the socializing with the young ladies yes. in a private residence. Yeah, getting their groove on. So with with the ladies, they would they would usually be very cold in the apartment or the house. Usually it was apartment because that's what they would have. Uh, probably by the Seine. I just like to say that so people think I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> by the Seine, and, and they would be very cold because the room was cold, and that's just the way it was back in wartime. So when they went back to their troop after their furlough, the soldiers would ask how their how their time was with the ladies in Paris. Or petty, and uh, the reply usually was, "Oh, they they had tough titties, I tell you, tough and cold," <laughs> and that became an expression we use to this day. Really, from the Second World War. Yeah, they would say tough titties. <laughs> <laughs> usually, now I just want to say from doing jabbering with you. Usually, <laughs> when I hear a story like that. <laughs> It's not 100% uh, correct. Okay, it's like 100% wrong, but it's interesting, isn't it? Isn't that interesting? At what point did I stop buying into it? Pretty near the end, actually. You had me going. I did. I want to see how many of you listeners actually bought that until the very end. Because it actually, in a way, makes sense, but it's so stupid. Yeah. That's one That's one I got to pull out more often. Tough titties. <laughs> How was your weekend? Oh, a lot of tough titties. Very uh, tough titties. Anywho, <laughs> back to the medical update. Our beloved medical update. Uh, my hand is completely healed. Everybody remembers I hurt my hand while we were at band practice yep. about three months that was ago. A rock and related injury. It was a rock and related, and it was it was an injury because. Uptown Mike did not show up for practice. Yeah, and you had to cover the whole... And I had to cover both guitar parts. So I hurt my hand, and then I was also mad at Uptown Mike. Uh, a big man, by the way. A very big man. <laughs> a, little, a little shorter than me, probably about a foot, but a big man. <laughs> uh, Mike's getting bigger, and we're worried about him. He's getting meatloaf size big. And, and like we're talking the past four months. <laughs> yeah, the past four months. Just the past four months. Yeah, yeah. seriously, yeah. Uh, we hope Mike's not. Mike doesn't listen to the show, and he didn't listen to it when he produced it. So we're very confident that he's not listening to it now yeah. when he's not producing it. But we're worried about Mike because he is growing at a 
exponentially yeah. great. And we've done some math and we figured out like, how big he's going to be in about a year and a half. And uh, we, it's we not looking about good. 500 pounds in a year and a half. Yeah, we're talking about moving around on a, like the back of a truck. <laughs> so my hand is healed. But Mike's getting fatter. <laughs> now, Rob, how is your surgery to remove your left testicle going? It is pretty close to completion. I just have to make a phone call and call the doctor I'm told can do it and make an arrangement to go in and have it done, which is about where I was four months ago. Ooh, nothing. <laughs> you have a voice that is so boring. I swear, you can be talking about the most exciting thing. I mean, and then I I was going to kill the man. You remember but that? I decided, why should I kill him now? Do you remember that Monty Python sketch for, I think Terry Jones was uh, hosting it, but interesting people. Or maybe it wasn't Terry Jones, but still, there was one fellow who was invisible. <laughs> still. Oh, we're getting off the tracks big time here. And he could talk and talk for hours. And oh, that was the guy when uh, uh, he was invisible. Oh, okay. I was thinking of uh, the sketch with uh, Carol Cleveland in it. Remember? And then Eric Idle. Uh, they came in for counseling. Oh, the counseling one. And yeah. he was going, "Oh, it's so boring." And I, <laughs> they called me so boring with my account. Oh, that the I had yeah. a bit of a reputation yeah. as an after-dinner speaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> what I was thinking of. How boring it was. And then while he was talking, he was. They were making up. Anyways. <laughs> anyway, let's get back. We to got the show. really let's, off the let's track. Let's do the yeah. show here. We, let's, let's, do, let's do the I show. like the show. <laughs> I had a show. So. Uh, we're going to go back to you because uh, speaking of uh, left testicles, Rob, how was your week? Uh, no progress on the testicle front. I didn't ask that. I just said that you were a left testicle. Please <laughs> do tell us how your week was. I bet you didn't know there was a testicle front. Uh, <laughs> let me see. <laughs> what did I do this week? This week I did almost nothing. This was an almost nothing week. I um, uh, spent long periods of time kind of... Uh, just uh, pacing about thinking, what do I do? And then not coming up with anything. And I better go back to sleep and see if anything comes with me. I love that story. <laughs> odds and ends. Lost time is not found again. Now, this week on Odds and Ends, Rob, I'm going to tell you that story about Jeff Beck that I promised last week. You promised it, and then uh, I didn't think you were going to do it. I, I, always, I always do it. I always, I always come back to what I promise. Well, uh, most ninety-five percent yeah. of the time. Sometimes 90, uh, there, sure. I bet you there's some things I've forgotten, and people go, "Man, I've been waiting for <laughs> for three and a half years. I've been waiting for him to finish that I second one." I wonder part. if he's forgotten <laughs> even did that. It's seeming that way. So this story is from rock writer Grill Marcus. He has a great website that I go to all the time, and they ask him questions. Just readers ask a rock writer. Uh, questions about what he likes, what he thinks about what's going on in the world, and all that. He answers them. So it's a fascinating um, uh, look into uh, you know a rock and roll critic and 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 his views on the, on music and stuff. Anyways, I recommend I recommend Grill Marcus's website. Website. All you have to do is just type in Grill Marcus and whoop. And that's spelled uh, G R I L L. Not I, not L L. <laughs> Why would you put an extra I L? I suggest in? you tell people how to spell it. If they're it's a G R E I L E I L M A R C U S. See, he pronounces it. And wrong. he and he and he wrote. He's he's my favorite critic, 
and he wrote the greatest rock and roll book of all time, Mystery Train, in 1975. Pick it up. It's as good a book, uh, both musically or anything that you're going to read. I rated right up there with The Great Gatsby and all those other books. Maybe not as good, but right up there. Right up there. So uh, the story was, i got to get to the uh, right tab here. Rob, i got to get to the right tab. Okay, so I think I told last week that he was on his honeymoon with his, just with his wife, and they were going to London in 1966. That's where I had left off last week, without revealing the story. Anyways, uh, somebody had asked him, let me see what the question was. I wanted to see somebody, what they actually asked him. Um, there was something. Uh... Oh, they just asked him what he thought of Jeff Beck passing and what his memories were. And uh, so he says, he says, there was a memory in June 1966, me and my wife went to a place in Brixton in London to see the Yardbirds, the Ram Jam Club. Oh, remember Ram Jam with, oh, Black Betty. And I Ram do. With it. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it, it, that didn't exist at that time. It wasn't there. <laughs> I mean, the Ram Jam Club was there, but the Black Betty uh, uh, by Ram Jam was not there yet. Anyways, people really probably want to hear these stories, and then we interrupt them with our with our goofiness. But it's not goofiness because I just like to it's, put these little in, in, incidental yeah, notes in there. It's rambling. Anyways, the Ram Jam Club. <laughs> Before bands came on, they played only reggae. Well, that's very interesting for 1966. Yeah. They didn't call it reggae. Actually, he says it was called rock steady, but he called it reggae. Uh, we had no, no idea what it was, but it slithered through the room. You know the reggae music and. And they had a soul band called Heat Waves came on and they were good. But it was late and the place was so hot and steamy. You gotta remember these London clubs, like, man, they only fit like 200 people and there there were 250 usually in there and yeah, hot and steamy. And some of the buildings were older than, uh, than yeah, I'm, old I'm buildings. Used to. Exactly. It felt like, oh, and I know what this feels <laughs> like. It felt like sweat was pouring down <laughs> the walls and everything. Well, the Yardbirds came on, and uh, the reality of the night took a step up. They were both explosive and careful, arnagic and precise. It was an unstable combination of values, and it seemed to make every song feel like a risk. I love that. He's right so he writes so cool. I wish I could write like that. He made, they made every song feel like a risk or anything could happen. Anyways, when they were finished, everyone was milling about, and two beautiful Swedish women went up to Jeff Beck, uh, gave him huge smiles, talked for a minute, and then one of them asked Beck for his guitar as a souvenir. Oh man, you don't do that. <laughs> I was just, when I was reading this story, I was thinking, if these two beautiful Swedish women, I don't care how beautiful they are, <laughs> if they're asking for my guitar as a souvenir, like, oh, oh, anyways. There's ladies who can pay for that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> so they said, I will, as I will take it home, she said. And I was shocked to hear this. There was something so condescending, it is, it's very condescending, so trivializing of the show that you had just watched along with a sort of implicit transaction that she wasn't trading sex for the guitar because it wasn't worth that much. It was, uh, it, it was just, it was just for a musician as we know, it was like a real put down. She actually wanted the guitar, but it was so trivial. 
Like, cause the the night was so heavy. You yeah. know what I mean? You just saw just a heavy show. She goes, "Can I have your guitar?" And it was a way of keeping her mind forever in his mind, so that she wouldn't, he wouldn't forget her, but not in a sexual way. And I got your guitar sort of way. Well, this was like this was too much. Uh, I could see Jeff Beck freeze with rage. I could see it too. He picked up his guitar and proceeded to smash it to bits. <laughs> then he kicked the pieces to the back of the stage and walked off. The woman actually acted insulted. <laughs> when actually Jeff Beck was actually insulted and rightly so. I like that incident as much as any solo I have ever heard him <laughs> And you know what? When I read that, I said, yeah. Because that's rock and roll, and that's dedication to music, and that's don't trivialize what I do by saying, "Oh, can I have your guitar?" Like, <laughs> holy fuck! Uh, this is hey, you can have my guitar in a bunch of bits because that's what I think of your comment. Yeah, and that to I, me, for some reason, not only epitomizes rock and roll, but Jeff Beck and his temper and his. <laughs> I, you know, I got one gender-based, well, two gender-based rules, but one of them is you don't mess with a guy's car. And if you want to extend that further, uh, the, the guitar is the, to a musician what a car is to a, an ordinary guy. It's, you, you just don't mess with it. With their instrument, so yeah. to speak. But yeah, that is uh, trivializing it just a bit. Yeah, you don't want, the, you don't <clears throat> fool around with the guy's musical <clears throat> instrument. You do not, you do not touch it. Anybody, I've had a couple people touch my guitar, mm -hmm. as you know, and even if it's a musician, I go, don't, unless oh, yeah. you ask me and I say so, you come don't in you and ever fucking touch my guitar. Where, where's, where's my guitar? <laughs> you moved it? Did you call and I and just, let me know you were moving? I just loved it. I, I was, as Rob knows, I had a little bit of piss and vinegar in my youth. I actually, when I was younger, might have done the same, I actually might have done the same thing. Seriously, if I was enraged enough, by uh, somebody saying that to me, especially a young, pretty girl, thinking that she could get away with it, I might have done the same thing. Yeah. Although I am nowhere as cool as Jeff Beck, uh, I, I, I might have done the same thing. Thank God I have calmed down a little bit, but uh, quite a bit actually, but holy smokes, I, I didn't think that sort of thing was funny back then when, I, when we were young. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think it was like the girl thought no. quaint. It was now not I, I've lost enough uh, the, the respect for people that, you know, uh, that lady makes a comment like that and I get mad. I'd have to be getting mad at a whole lot more comments. So so your point is? Uh, at my age, it would just blow by me. I would just uh, write her off and uh, get on to... Oh, uh, you just else. write her off. I'd just write her off. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody knows, that's, that's our theme song right at the end. Um, I just write her off. That is our song. That's your song. Yeah. But it's our song because we recorded. That's actually yeah. us playing it. Huh. People, we don't say that enough. We've only said it like once or twice in the history of the show, which has been four years now. Hey, we got to come up with a That's new one. That's actually us. And we should come up. We should just uh, we should just put another one of our songs. And we should actually. <laughs> change it up a little bit. Uh, we'll put up something really Next weird. Next time we jam, we'll do, we'll do a new song. We'll do, we'll do something really weird. Yeah, we'll jam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, get ready. ready. It's, it's coming sometime in the next 50 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> we promise a lot of things. We do mean it, but it's really hard to do. Like we want to do the mm. uh, the the podcast uh, 
with the video and to put it on the internet, but... Some of the lunkheads I've seen doing shows, why can't we do it? Well, I know, but <laughs> it's just, we get no help. And when we ask for help, we, the people are not enthusiastic, so we have to figure it out ourselves. Yes. And it's it's always just me and Rob having to figure things out, and it's very, you know, yeah, just... <laughs> sometimes we ask for help, and people... Uh, go through the motions of helping us, but then we realize afterwards they don't have the competence for that to have actually been helped. Actually, it happens way <laughs> more than people think. If you don't know what you're talking about, just shut up. That's what I do mostly. Yeah, you will. Mostly, yeah. People really should. If they don't, they really don't want to help or don't have the uh, capabilities of asking what we're yeah. doing. Well, they don't waste three why, months of our why time. Why waste of time, yeah. people? <laughs> Anyways, we are working on these things. We really are. But it's, and I guess if anybody says, how come you never have guests like you promised on your early shows? Uh, who the hell are we going to have on? <laughs> <laughs> and who would agree to be on? You know, think about that. We kind of live in the wilderness a bit. Um, we got some time. So we're going to, I didn't know if we would get to this segment because I didn't know how long the show was going to go because you never, you know. never know how long we're going to talk about something. But we do. Uh, I want to talk about um, another year in the in the greatest years of rock music history. Uh, this is, I'm not talking about great years in rock and roll history. I'm talking about the greatest years. The greatest years, yeah. I know now, this, uh... now, we did 1956. We did 1964. We're going to jump all the way to the next most important year. One of the most, obviously, because it's on the list. Game-changing year for everything that came after it almost like every year is uh that we do uh, there's something about it that this changes not only the music scene but the culture that was 1977 and that was the year when disco broke out big time but even more important uh i don't know more important because disco is in is in has infused in a way everything we listen to nowadays on top 40 radio that is on so we won't say well we'll just say just as important was the uh the punk rock explosion in 1977 punk rock, a new wave. which was uh yeah it gave it gave birth to two new kinds of music that are still around today uh punk and new wave and i don't know if they're around i don't know what that means but yeah it's i've never heard a lot say new wave uh, yeah no, quite a while. It's, it's even though the style may be the same the style they play the music but it's obviously since it's 40 years ago, it's not called the wave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the old wave now. The old wave that was kind of new before, man. Remember? Um, and this was this was also, I was just reading because I was uh, getting ready for this piece. And 1977, well, that was the first year that I seriously started listening to music. And it was also, it was a year of, of unbelievable change with the advent of the ups of disco music and punk. But we had we suffered quite a lot of losses in 1977. No bigger, of course, than than Elvis, who I remember the day he died. I was at my lake with uh, not my lake, but my family's lake, with our friend Tom, our late friend Tom. And I remember my mom said, "Oh, Elvis died." And I said, "No." No, it was a beautiful it. August day. We, we would have heard something about it if Elvis died. No, it was just it was unbelievable. Yeah. It was like Elvis doesn't die. <laughs> even at that age, even at He's that young very young yeah. age, when I had no Elvis records and literally had only been listening to music seriously 
for about three months, maybe, maybe May 77, so about, you know, three months. But Elvis was such a part of the culture of the world that everybody knew about Elvis. Everybody knew about Elvis. It was like, you saw his movies on TV. Uh, you couldn't get away from it. They talked about Elvis all the time. He Even though the 70s was the not the greatest era for Elvis. Of yeah. rock and roll. He was the king of rock and roll. He was larger than life. And I don't mean that as a joke. <laughs> I mean that he went... See, for people who don't realize... I know that a lot, a lot of our listeners will. They were, they, they know about back then. But some of our listeners may say, "I don't know. That was such a long time ago. Like, was Elvis that big? Elvis was fucking huge. Elvis was was part of uh, pop. What do you call it? Uh, he was everything. It was like, I wonder what Elvis is doing. Why would Elvis do that? You know, like he was." What everyone compared he, themselves to. Uh, yeah, it was at like, some oh, point. Elvis, you know. How big am I? The, How big was Elvis? Elvis, yeah. Elvis was literally, he didn't die. So the first thing, even as a little child, not even a teenager yet, realized the first thing that came into my mind, because my, my mom just said, my mom, even at that age, knew that I wanted to know that, because everybody, everybody knew Elvis. My mom knew, like, oh, you know, Elvis died. And I said, holy shit, Elvis doesn't die. Elvis was just one of those people that even no matter how sick he got, no matter what, he was just so huge in his, in the entertainment world, in the world in general, everybody around the world knew Elvis. He didn't think he would die. And that's the one thing that I take from that day. And I remember I told our friend Tom, and Tom was like, oh, really? And he was kind of like, he wasn't into music yet. So he was kind of like, well, I know Elvis. Like I've heard of him. He did, but uh, I, yeah, He's exactly. He's one of those guys I heard from the Yeah, but then he the said, past. oh, let's go play by the beach and stuff. And I was <laughs> going like, oh, man, this is this is a sad day. But I always, and then I remember like, all, I will never forget, not just all Elvis everywhere after that. All the radio stations playing Elvis. And there's front doing, page of the papers. Front page of the papers. I mean, this was huge. I mean, they when they did Elvis's funeral a couple of days later, I can't remember the exact date. I think it was Friday or he died on a Tuesday. And I think I think they had it on like a Thursday or Friday, his funeral. And it was like baking hot in Memphis. And all the television stations had the Elvis funeral on. And all, I just remember all these white, well, hearses, I guess, or whatever. Yeah, there was a, the, the funeral cars. The there. funeral cars, all white, and it was just like miles down. Like, it was just, and people crying in the streets. You wouldn't believe the people crying in the streets. Uh, it was just, it was devastating. And things kind of changed after that. When Elvis dies, then you kind of start anew, which was kind of like something like the year. Because we had disco, which was there, but it became huge. And it would even become even bigger in 1977, late 1977, when Saturday Night Fever got released. And then it just exploded. All of a sudden, uh, disco was huge, and then it got bigger. And then yeah. the year after, it died <laughs> because of the ridiculous... Uh, uh, kill disco or disco sucks thing that they did at the ballpark in Chicago and then it was uh, which was very 
uh, racist and sexist and everything you could and homophobic and I still feel bad to this day that I cheered that because I remember seeing it on TV the riots about how disco sucks and they blew up all the records in the middle of Kaminsky Park and I watched it on TV and I go yeah disco sucks and then when I but I was just a kid I didn't know I didn't know about homophobia I didn't know about I didn't even know about racism. All I that knew much. it was a flashy kind of music style. That, uh, it wasn't like rock and roll. It was definitely hated by rock and roll people. Mm. But you didn't, as a kid, I know people knew better. People who were older than us knew better than to denigrate any type of music. And especially a music that was loved by the minorities and by a lot of gay people who were at the clubs, um, which may have may have if you lived in that era you know if they if gay people liked it then you if you were straight you didn't like it <laughs> and then you put it down and uh that was a, a definite low point in um uh, in music history i'm ashamed that i i plotted it uh and now that i'm much older i actually like a lot <laughs> of the disco music uh maybe it wasn't a threat anymore like it isn't a threat anymore but still I just became more mature, and I, I started to listen to music as it was, not what the what not what was around it, the social milieu that's around a music, which was oh, this is music for gay clubs and and for black urban people, and it's like like that I just didn't knew affect me. There was dancing and bright lights and colors. Yeah, involved. and bright lights and. I color. wasn't into that. And I we weren't into that. We <laughs> had jeans and fog hat and yeah. <laughs> and stuff like that, and. Um, but that is funny because the birth of the advent of disco and the birth in the same year almost of um, punk rock was both looked at as an assault on rock and roll. To rock and roll. Yeah. Both were looked at as definitely uh, a danger to rock and roll. People now, you, you hear musicians nowadays still who were around uh, talk about some of them talk about how they love punk rock like Pete Townsend and, and some other people and you'll hear like people like Rick Wakeman and and other people who will say how they hated punk rock uh, and maybe for for good oh, Frank Zappa was another one who hated punk rock and it's just amazing the, the smart people that hated punk well, rock well yeah you put that much into learning about music and learning about and then uh, you're competing with the but that was what early rock and roll was. Yeah, early rock and roll was just yes, three it was. And two minute songs. And they're, it had progressed to a point where it had changed and uh, wasn't the thing it started out to be. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. what punk rock was. <laughs> That's exactly what it was in one sentence. Punk rock is went that they right were back mad to the roots. That it had not stayed the same. At least there wasn't anything like it anymore. Yeah. And they said, why can't we bring that back? It used to be for everybody, and now it had gotten kind of snooty. Now you had to be like uh, an accomplished musician to play music, like a really accomplished musician, like going to school for eight years to learn how to play, to play music. They said, that's not what rock and roll is about. And they were right. Mm -hmm. They were right. And rock and roll had gotten that off track and kind of that... Overproduced and overproduced, over but they got away from what the people wanted. They got they were so involved with their music and cocaine and mm. all the stuff that was going on in the seventies that they forgot about the roots of the music and they forgot about the the real people that listened to it, the the the, the kids that listened to it, and you had like these 
you know, and it, it like we talked about the death of Elvis. We also talked about that was the year that was the start of the death of progressive rock as as a form. It, I mean, it existed for a couple more years after as a, as a as a top selling form. But that was the year when people were awakened to all they heard was, yeah, we hate progressive rock and ELP and and yes and all that stuff because it's so bloated and they all these millionaire rock stars with their degrees and music and yeah, playing and we're, uh, we're here to we're here to shut them down and Pink Floyd sucks and yeah you know what that happened <laughs> within two years uh, progressive rock became so uncool that almost all the bands in one way or another folded and of course they would Get together, yeah, a like lot of them were down to just doing uh, three to five minute uh, songs from yeah. that point on. And, uh, and yeah, and a lot of artists, uh, ELP in, in 1978 released uh, Love Beach, uh, which we're going to review on this show. <laughs> it's one of the most hated albums ever. I'm not going to say how I feel about the album. I've listened to that album and I bought it like three times because four times I think I bought Love Beach <laughs> just because... Uh, you kept losing copies? No. You know what the fuck? I kept on buying copies and all used. Thinking you didn't have it. All used. Okay. But they always seemed to have a... A, a different... A, a scratch in a different oh. place. And I, yeah. <laughs> My two copies of Alice Cooper's Pretty For You, I can assemble one copy out of the two of them if and I And we didn't know how to fix that back then. Nowadays, you can go on YouTube, which we didn't have, of course, back then, and you can find out how to fix scratches very easily. Uh, but I did know not too many people knew back then, so you always had to buy a new copy. So I always I did buy new copies. I, I just would go to the, the used record store and buy another copy. But I bought about four copies of Love Beach. And uh, I'm not going to say what I feel about it, uh, but they put everything. They did have one song. They did have side two, which was one song. But it was all a bunch of songs into one suite. Pieces of okay. Pieces, yeah. yeah. And and the first side was all short songs, like Rob said. And, and of course, Yes did Drama, which I love. We can't review it, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say that I love that album. I loved it when I heard it the first time and in 1980. And I think it's a much... Un, uh, it was like the police. It was like Yes plays the police. I was surprised by it because I wasn't expecting to... Uh, I was expecting to be kind of middle... Lukewarm to it, and I, uh, I was oh, really? actually rather yeah. surprised, and I liked it. Yeah, yeah I, 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 the reason I, I heard so much of it was because uh, they played a lot of uh, three or four videos, two or three videos from it on 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 the, the TV oh, all yeah. the time when I came home from school, and I would watch it, and they they seemed to play it all the time. So I would watch it. And I said, these are great songs. They were really fast. They were really new waivers like and it was like really cool it was like rock but it had musicianship and it died and people gave it bad reviews they don't give it bad reviews now it's been reevaluated <laughs> as actually being a, a, at least a good album I actually think it's an excellent album and I think that that's the way that yes should have gone and in a way they did a little bit still a little bit but that's the way that uh I always get the album wrong because I always think of Beverly Hills. Oh yeah, <laughs> nine hundred two one. That's the you one know the album, album. Yeah, the Trevor Raymond album, uh, owner of a lonely Raymond heart. Did. That's actually what they became, but they polished it off a lot more. And uh, so, but that, but Rob's right. That's what it became. It came, all the progressive bands 
did the three-minute songs. They said, we can't do the long songs. Anymore. Yeah, they might throw in a long song here and there, but mostly it was uh, was uh, doing uh, the same length, radio play length songs. And the audience didn't like it. The audience, I think the only one that survived or flourished in that uh, was Asia, who made a, a, a very good living in the early 80s. Uh, with hit they singles, they were still that. doing long songs, but they were definitely doing progressive. Uh, definitely, yeah. it was it was commercial. I hate yeah. Asia. I'm sorry. I actually got an album that I bore from Rob because he had an extra one, and I struggled to get through it. I I think it's I think it's way. I think it's made to be commercial. I'm sorry. I, I enjoyed I the first one. It's not the first one. The it's second not the one, first. not so much. And then uh, I have no memory of any after that. Yeah, I can't remember which one. It definitely wasn't the first after one. After Steve Howe uh, left. Uh, I think the, it was the second one because it was an extra one second you had one, from... Uh, there was Alpha was the second one. Yeah. Uh, there was Asia and then Alpha and then Astra. And it, then wasn't, it wasn't terrible, but it was not... It, it didn't hold me. I like the one song on it, the, the Smiles Left Your Eyes. I love that song. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. So that was the only band that flourished because they were seemingly meant to be a hit single band. Yeah, and also the supergroup reputation of uh, these are guys, right. mother groups that are really good. And I did like their singles. I just when I listen to their albums, I just can't. It's just it's just the albums, the singles are everything for for that band, which is totally opposite of what rock, rock is about. <laughs> Anyways, I know we got off topic again, but yeah, how about so, that? So, but what we're saying is that yes. Punk rock did kill progressive progressive rock. Progressive rock might have lasted in its form for many, many years. We will never know, but there was nothing to stop it. It was very popular in 1977. Yeah. And then by 1978, uh, when punk rock had really flourished, it uh, it was not cool to be to be making. I remember when Tormato came out, which I love. Another album mm. I love that people hate. Shouldn't say that because we might review it. Uh, but... Uh, Again, I thought that's that's kind of the way we had short songs on it. That's kind of the way maybe progressive rock should sound. But the progressive rock people weren't buying it. They were saying, we don't want the short songs. It was like the progressive rock people, the fans killed it. You know what I mean? Almost the bands tried to adapt, but the fans were saying no. Yeah, you can't uh, accommodate all of us. Uh, no. You can't play both sides of the fence. If Sorry. you're uh, pleasing them, you ain't pleasing us. And, uh... I know a lot of progressive rock uh, was popular. Uh, some of it got airplay, but a lot of it was just word of mouth. Yeah. yeah. A lot of it was word of mouth. Uh, didn't even get played that much uh, <clears throat> on radio. And, and of course, you know Genesis. Genesis is a good example. Great progressive rock band with Peter Gabriel. As soon as punk rock hit, uh, ironically at the same time, you know, Steve Hackett left. 1978 they became uh, the three-piece band and they became extremely commercial and extremely bullshit depending <laughs> on your point of yeah. view <laughs> and a lot of bands did that but one thing i noticed when i was watching that uh, that rush documentary they were mentioning after they did uh, hemispheres they uh they decided you know that's such an intense thing to write a 20-minute song like that that uh, they just you know we're not doing this again it's too much see we've hit our limit rush i think progressed naturally yeah to because they still played long songs, but they but they said, you know what, we want to play more more le less complicated songs. I mean, and we want to play complicated songs but shorter. 
So they did that as an artistic decision. They yeah. didn't do that as, oh, the times are changing. Oh, they no, no, no. I mean, my point is, it's just, it's a lot of effort. No, no, I'm just, I'm just saying that, and it is, it's a Long lot of effort. are a lot of effort to... You've got to uh, come up with a hundred parts for an album. That's really tough. Yes, and then you got to practice them out with the whole band and uh, try and record them. Uh, and you have to record them together. Yes. At least they wanted to, and it's very tough. It, it takes a lot out of you, and uh, they there comes a time when you just you don't want to work that hard. So I didn't say what you were saying a, was 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 wrong. I just meant to say that that's the difference with Rush was that they actually oh yeah, made yeah. these decisions and mm. because they wanted to. Everything that they've done throughout their whole career has been done because they wanted to do what they wanted to do. Huh. Unlike almost every the other progressive rock bands who said we have to do we this have because to everything maintain is our popularity yeah. and uh, <laughs> we got to be popular among the new crowds. And uh, but yeah, my point is just it's. As you're getting older, you just you don't want to work that hard. You don't. It is tough. Yeah. It is tough to come up with shit every year. You had to do it every year. You had to release an album every year. If you had coming to up with three minute songs is much easier than coming up with uh, ten minutes, twenty minute songs. You didn't have four years to make an album back then. Yeah. Um, and then disco, of course. Uh, what we listen to now is just a different version of disco. Well, we thought in, when they did that in 1979, when they did that big fire. In Comiskey Park and with the disco sucks and all that. And That's the last we'll be seeing. That of it. that was the last we'll be seeing. Little did we know that actually that kind of culture of that music would permeate uh, slowly and slowly into the music that that people listen to every day now on Top Forty. Um, very interesting. That's why 1977 is very interesting because we had the seeds of destruction. We really did with this, with punk rock and the Sex Pistols and the Clash, destroying what it came before, creating something totally new, which we still have in vibrancy and in alternative rock from REM all the way up. And yep. these bands that have three guitars, like the White Stripes, that's all because of punk rock. It was, and now, and then we have disco again kind of destroying what had come before with the which I love the solo music and the R&B but saying you know what we want these songs longer and we want them more instrumental and we want them to be a little bit more um, not so human related which I hated at the time but I realized and that's what it's become now you, you hear a song that's being played now by whoever you know um uh, and you can name any of the stars, and there's no real drums, and there's, and it's it does sound good. I just know that it's not my cup of tea because I like real people playing real instruments. Yeah. But that's was disco, and that's 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 the amazing part of it. You couldn't kill it. You couldn't kill that. You can't kill a, a good idea. And I think disco was a good idea. It had good, it, it wanted to present music in a club that was for people who wanted to dance for 12 minutes at a time listening to a song. And uh, it just changed and germinated over the years until we have more today. Now the unfortunate thing is you can't have both. You can't have that kind of pop music or dance music and have rock and roll and, and share it 50-50. It had to kill almost rock music in the top 40 to get, to get there. So you don't have any rock and roll music in the top 40 anymore. It will come back. I have said this many times on this show. There's always a band that that God comes along and says, "We need rock and roll now." It is time to change the world. Go. It is time to change the world, and you're the one. 
and uh, we will get to that. We had one of those years, and we'll get to that very soon uh, in 1992. But uh, that was basically 1977. 1977 was a watershed year in 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 popular music for the things I mentioned. Uh, when I think of, when everybody thinks of, of 1977, every time I hear them on a, on a radio station or on a TV show, it's always the year of disco and punk and Elvis died. And they all, in a strange way, connect. <laughs> if you think about it, they really does. And you had, you just, oh my God, the albums, I'm just looking at the albums released in 1977 and literally, if you're a fan of, of, of music in general, you could buy 10 albums a week. <laughs> you could buy 10 albums, or at least five albums a week. Uh, you could, like, every new every week, a new album. Imagine. There's probably five albums that you see. I a record buy. Ma- market saturated with really good albums. Yes. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> compared, to the, compared to, like, since the new millennium, when there's, like, very few albums that saturate a market in a year, <laughs> let alone in a week. Um, wow. I'm just looking at this. I see one week. One week you have... You have uh, Elvis Costello releasing My Aim is True, and the next week you have The Grateful Dead releasing Terrapin Station, all in a week. And you have Elvis releasing his new album, Moody Blue, his last album, and Johnny Cash, and oh my God, it was just like... But you know what? You get that throughout the 70s. When I when I have looked at these lists of the albums being released throughout the 70s, every week there's like, if I, if I could go back... And you give me an endless amount, not an endless amount of money, but you told me I could buy five albums a week. I would have no trouble pick, picking five albums that were released that week. <laughs> You'd have trouble leaving albums behind. I would. There would be like probably about seven oh, albums. And I'd say, oh, I, yeah. need, I need more money. <laughs> <laughs> this is unfair. <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> uh, so th- there we go. Uh, we only have... Uh, Two more years we'll be doing. We'll be doing 1981 and we'll be doing 1992. Again, as I say to Rob, if you don't know why 1981 was a... Everybody knows why 1992 was a watershed year. Uh, some people are confused by why 1981 was a watershed year. and But it doesn't take much thinking if you really think about it. I can think of three letters that would... Uh, yes. We'll talk that, about that's that all you time. have to do. Just think of... Don't think of a word. Think of three letters and you'll know why music changed so <laughs> drastically in 1981. Um, so now we're going to go... We're going to go to uh, a woman that I have, have, I guess, had, loved all my life it seemed like all my life uh miss olivia newton john uh unfortunately uh uh passed away on august of last year august 8th she had battled cancer for oh god i don't know 20 years almost uh and she just uh succumbed to it eventually so sad how you can you could be get well and then get sick again on the same thing and it's very sad but it gotta be Rob I'm gonna ask you it's gotta be the one of the one of the singers who has very few people dislike she's gotta be the most one of the most liked singers of all time I can't think of any anybody who says I don't like Olivia yeah. John as a person like you may not like her music whatever yeah, people are not into her musical style still but you know, oh, she's, so nice. yeah. she's an actress. <laughs> she's uh, she's talented. She's uh, smoking on. 
She's nice. I mean, it's really, it, you must have a pretty cold and cynical heart not to like Olivia Newton-John, the person. <laughs> and I think that's a lot of when she died. You know, a lot of that, that a lot of people were sad because of the person that died. A lot of, a lot of real assholes died, but their music was great. You know what I mean? And I mentioned a person who died recently, what, you know, Jerry Lee Lewis, uh, who was not the nicest person around. There's a lot of spotty areas in his past. But his music, to me, oh my God, I just, I just loved it. And you get that. You did, unfortunately, you get that quite a lot. Chuck Berry too, you know, who just died a, a couple of years ago. But with Olivia, it was all, yeah, you know, I grew up with Greece and all that stuff. And but she was so nice. <laughs> and she was so the girl next door, the beautiful girl next door. But she was so the girl next door that you could, that if you met, you, you she would just go, oh, how's it going? I, I, you, you know, and. Uh, I think that's why people took it so hard. It's, it's still, to me, it's it's hard to believe that, that that somebody like that is gone because they're just so. It's hard to believe that the girl yeah. next door is gone. You know what I mean? Yeah, and she didn't strike me as, as being old enough for it yet. No, not old enough to die yet. You know what's funny? Uh, she died. She died at the age of seventy-three, and yet. There's no way I think of her as 73. <laughs> and I never will. I never will. To me, and she looked she looked like she was like in her late 50s when, you know, even when the millennium started, she always looked so young. She even got, she even actually looked better as, as the years went on. Not that, I, I mean, she was drop-dead gorgeous in the 70s, but I'm telling you. Have a look at the album cover. Just look at the <laughs> album. album look cover. at all of her album <laughs> covers in the 70s. And she looks, some of them she looks like, is so beautiful but some of them she looks so wholesome and nice and then and, and an album's like totally hot she looks hot on it and yet when you see pictures of her in the 90s or in the 2000s and she's wow she's getting older but holy smoke she's not she's aging in a great way like she just has that she has that bouncy vibrancy about her and she actually been most people a lot of people think she's Australian she is but she was actually born in Britain in 1948 and they moved to Australia just like the Bee Gees they did uh, everybody thinks the Bee Gees are from again the Bee Gees are from Australia but they're not you know what I mean they weren't born in Australia very, I, it seems like very few people at least back in the 60s and 70s were or I should say not 60s and 70s 40s and 50s were not born in Australia That's they, they were born in England and went to Australia big stars they couldn't fit in with the local culture yeah, it is. we can't fit in. We can't fit in. We gotta get into rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, she was just a singer. She started off, you know, singing uh, in talent contests and stuff like that. There was an interesting story. Uh, oh, I'll get to that in a second. That I read. She was well. I'll, I'll tell it right now. She was recruited for a group called Tomorrow in uh, about 1970 and it's Tomorrow with uh, T-O-O at the beginning not T-O <laughs> also Moro uh, <laughs> so it's Tomorrow uh, which was formed by American producer Don Kirshner who I have no respect for but anyways and uh, I should say that that's not nice Don Kirshner's not around anymore I don't I don't uh, have any harsh feelings towards him anymore but if he was around I would <laughs> well, 
Uh, and they starred in uh, the group Tomorrow and Olivia were in a, were in a movie in 1978, uh, a science fiction musical um, that was so hard to find. In what year? 1970. Okay. That was so hard to find that in the late 70s, and I read this, I actually read this article when I was doing research, that Olivia wanted to find a copy of it because she had never seen the movie. It was that hard to find, and it was that terrible. Uh, it really was, and uh, you can find it now. It's, it's re I think it's relatively easy to find. It might even be on DVD. I'm not sure, but uh, back then you couldn't, couldn't see it anywhere. I guess it was so bad they kind of took it out of dis distribution. I think somebody found a copy for her and put it on VHS later on for her uh, to, I guess, look and go, oh, God, I was in that. Anyways, then she did a couple of single recordings. Uh, she did uh, solo albums. And it's funny because she, she would do a solo album. And this happened a lot overseas in the UK. Uh, is that uh, they would do a... a Back then, they would do an album in the, in, the, in Europe, and then they would change when it would well, change the North track America, order or yeah, add different tracks add, or add different tracks, change the track order, and then change the title. But basically, other than like two songs, it was the same album. But this way, they could kind of milk it a little bit more because they could take maybe two songs off, put them on another album, get another two songs from another album. It's like oh yeah, like oh another half a side, and it's like. Anyways, it becomes confusing. At that point, I imagine it's very confusing. Right now, you know, you can go back and say, oh, that was just, that um, that North American album was just the same as the Australian one or whatever. But back then, it must have been very confusing if you wanted to get her albums. It was like, oh, I just spent five bucks for this album, but it has this, pretty much the same songs as the one I bought three months ago. <laughs> um, but she had some great songs she had at the beginning of her career. Uh, she did uh, the uh, Bob Dylan song, uh, If Not For You. And I don't know. Oh, it was in 1972. Okay. Okay, so it was very much not like the Bob Dylan version of If Not For You, but the George Harrison version of, of If Not For You, uh, which was different. So she did that, and it became very popular. That's the first song I heard of her, and I thought that's a great song. I didn't know it was from George Harrison. From his All Things Must Pass album, but uh, I said, oh, that's a great song. Did a greater, she had great arrangements, uh, especially in the early days. And what I liked about it, maybe compared even to, you can tell on the album Totally Hot that it's getting into that 80s production thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where back in the early and mid 70s, it was more of a uh, back to basics type of, it wasn't all hush, uh, lushly produced and a lot of instruments. By the way, uh, Totally Hot has like, Ten backup vocalists. And, uh, ten backup vocalists. I was saying, what the fuck? You need ten backup <laughs> vocalists for? Uh, not that I'm blaming Olivia. That's what the producer does. But and then you have all these people playing. Like you said, there's oh, we need three guys playing the keyboards. And I say, you don't need three guys playing the fucking keyboards on the album. Just get one guy. One of them was David Foster. Fuck that guy. Yeah, I hate I mean, him. <laughs> that's why we have multi-tracking and overdubbing. I, I mean, uh, I know. ELO. They uh, the, the the first exactly. Album. But this is this is almost a different culture. It really is. Like the 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 making an album to to be popular. And I'm not putting Olivia down at all. I'm just saying that that's what's her career mm -hmm. was. She wanted to be both artistic, but commercial. You're not going to see a, Olivia making an eight minute 
magnum opus on an album, you're going to see a bunch of four-minute songs. That's just what she does. There's nothing wrong with that. Yep. Um, that's just a different, but it's a different way of doing things. By the way, any time that I review an album that has David Foster in it, I will say David Foster. <laughs> it loses awesome. half a star. <laughs> and I have a friend who has another David Foster bad story to tell that just happened this last year. I'm not going to tell it because I promised her I wouldn't tell the story. She was supposed to sing on the night that David Foster was here. David Foster gave her the gung ho. Ooh, bumped her. Bumped her. And she actually went up to the stage to sing and he said, no, we don't have enough time left. And she was pissed and she went on social media and she was said, oh, what an asshole. Another David Foster story that I love to tell. I don't <laughs> like it because I, I don't love to tell it because she, you know, expressed to me how heartbroken she was. But it just, it's just another typical David Foster story that I've heard. By the way, he likes to date women and marry them that are as young as his uh, daughters. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't be sued for libel because it's true, all the stories that I'm telling. So here we go. Um, she had some great songs. What is life? Uh, she did. Uh, I remember she did "Take Me Home, Country Roads." The the two songs I always remember hearing all the time when I was a kid was "Let Me Be There," and "If You Love Me, Let Me Know," and "If You Don't, Then Let Me Go." She very one. Elvis covered those two songs actually too, and he did almost the exact same arrangement that Olivia did, uh, uh, except one had Olivia's beautiful voice and one had Elvis's great voice. I mean, how do you choose, right? So she was really, uh, she did a lot, she did a lot of country pop, uh, which which achieved a lot of scorn, unfortunately. Oh, the time, Rob, yeah. But we're getting close to the end anyways, it's okay. Oh yeah, we got another 10 minutes. She received a lot of scorn because she wasn't like Nashville, not Nashville, she wasn't like, I'm from Mississippi type of country. She's yeah. like from Australia. And there's pop in it, and the country people from Nashville go, what? I don't know, I don't like that. He's uh, introducing too many new weird things. They're very, they're very conservative, and 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 they still are in mm -hmm. country music. They're very uh, protective, and that's one thing that rock music has, has always been very open to all types of music. Country music is not. It's the one thing about country music I really despise is there. You know, if you try and tread on our territory, then fuck you. Uh, whereas rock and roll is like, oh, you play rap? Well, we'll call it rock and roll too. You're invited in. All that stuff. Rock and, roll's, rock and roll is all about, hey, if it's hip and we like it, then you can come in to our rock and roll hemisphere too. Mostly. It mostly. Mostly. Like that. Mostly. If you're Barry Manilow, then take yeah. the age range. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, that, uh, that don't mix with rock. That's, uh... Anyway, she had all these singles. And you know, the singles just all fabulous. You know, I honestly love it. She had such a... She didn't have a powerful voice. At least it didn't seem so with her singles. That's what I'm going to get to in a second. But she had a very nice girl next door voice, which yeah. made songs like she I was, Honestly Love You Come Through. Yeah, and I, okay, when we talk about the album, we'll talk about her voice. Cause, uh, okay. I want to talk about that too because uh, it's very important. Mm -hmm. And then 1978, which is the year of this album. This album was released in November of 1978. But 1978... I think, as everybody knows, was a huge year for Olivia. She finally got to star in a movie, and not only, not just any movie, but Grease, which was absolutely huge. I saw it. My sister went and took it to me when it first opened. I actually loved it a lot. 
but I was only very young. But Olivia was up on there, so like <laughs> big and tall. It was like, wow, I'm really in love now. And and they had really great songs. You're the one that I want. Hopelessly devoted. She sang the hell out of that song. Hopelessly devoted to you. Uh, Summer nights. But you know what? The other three sides suck dick. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, get off that. Wretched music being done in a wretched manner. <laughs> we won't go onto that anymore. If you want to hear my thoughts on the Grease soundtrack, go to our list of episodes and listen to my review of it. You will understand what I'm talking about. Uh, but I actually don't want you to because it's our leading episode and I don't want it to be our, our best listened to episode. <laughs> yeah, don't listen to that one. Listen to some other ones first and then listen to that one. But not until you've listened to some other ones first. So she's on top of the world. She's got this the, the soundtrack, which is number one forever. She's got uh, a movie, which is the, the one of the biggest uh, uh, movies of the year out. And then in late 1970, she decides to, at the time, I thought, make... I haven't listened to this album. I've wanted to listen to this album for 45 years, and I haven't listened to it until this last week. I... Uh, she made a, a rock and roll album and she was really looking she looked like she did at the end of Greece like this leather sexy leather bound chick that was really cool dangerous and dangerous and I had that's why I had trouble when I listened to this album this last week because um it wasn't the type of rock and roll album that I thought that she had released in 1978 I had heard all these reviews and people saying that it was Olivia Rocking, and it was in a way. It really was, but not in the way that I thought. I thought every song was going to be like a little more love, and it wasn't. And I was a little bit disappointed. I got over it, but at first I was very disappointed because I thought I'd be like distorted guitars all the way through, and it, and it wasn't like that. But anyways, um, this is her most popular album, Totally Hot, uh, up to that time. It was a very big album. Got really rave reviews all around. Um, I picked it just because I've wanted to listen to this for 45 years and it is one of her biggest albums uh, selling wise and it is the one album that a lot of people remember her by because a lot of her other albums were um, a couple of singles and then kind of filler type of thing but this album was really supposed to be like an album and it was supposed to break her into uh, the non-country part to, to break her into the more pop mainstream like Grease did yeah. But even to it, even to a little more of a rock and roll crowd. So we're going to get to the album, and um, again, up until my very last listen yesterday, uh, I didn't know how I was going to rate this until I listened. It always, almost always happens. Not always, but I mean, when I'm stuck on an album, except for last week when we did the what album did we do, Rob? I'll just flip this piece of paper over <laughs> and see that it was Great Speckled Bird. Yes, that one. That one, I, I still am more confirmed that it is a three and a half star record. And I'm satisfied, but it wasn't until we did the show. Uh, when Usually when I'm stuck on an album, how I actually feel about it. Is it as good as I think? Is it not as good? It, it's always when I listen to it the fourth time, like the last time. It's like, I know now. And I'm definite about it. I really am. This was another one. I had a disappointment at first because it wasn't the album that I had thought it was going to be 45 years ago. I had to get over that myself. That was not the that was not the fault yeah, of the album. Yeah, definitely different from your expectations. Yes, okay, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, 
I, you know, other than a couple of songs, and it's only a couple, these songs are really good. She writes two songs, and I really like one of them. Uh, the other one's good, but I really like one of them. Uh, Borrow Time, I really liked. Didn't I didn't think much of either one at the beginning, but as I listened to it, I thought, wow, those, those are really good songs. She sings really good. And I'm going to tell you something. Side one is very good. Side one is very good. It has a song that I really don't like called Deeper Than the Night. Well, I, I'm not a big fan of songs that I don't even understand what Deeper Than the Night means. Yeah, I found that <laughs> one of my criticisms was the uh, the lyrics on the album. Yeah, uh, the lyrics were weak. Yes. They were... I wanted to bring that up too. Very good. bad, but they were just... Uh, they'd been done many times before. There are a lot mm-hmm. of these rhymes I've heard before. I agree with you 100%. It was very they were done before and... Simple lyricism. They were safe. done. It seems like in some of the cases, and not all, but it seemed... Well, most. 70% of this album it seems like most of the lyrics were done just to kind of get the song done. Yeah. And yeah. lazy lyrics. Um, I got to tell you... Side 2 is a totally different story for me. Side 2 starts off with a song that I have always loved ever since 1978. And I think sounds just as good 45 years later. And I'm not kidding. A Little More Love is just a perfect song. It is written brilliantly. And it's and it's hard for people to understand. How can a three and a half minute pop rock song be written brilliantly? A lot of them are. And you don't understand. If I have to explain it to you then it's it's a waste of my breath because all you have to do is listen to it. It's got like three little parts. It's got like the, uh, the, the, the first little part, which is the beginning of the, I'm stuck for words here, Rob, the beginning of the verse. Then okay. it's got a little bit of a bridge and then it's got the chorus and all are different, but all are good. And all, all of them, feed off each other yeah they fit together really well yes they fit together really well even to the point where each one makes the other one click they might not work separately but when you put the three together it just it's just an amazing song i am amazed by this song 45 years later that's one of those uh, those darts that hit the bullseye yes uh, it hits the bullseye this was the song that i thought because when this album came out this was the lead-off single, and I thought, fuck, if this this album is like that. So for 45 years, I thought this was like, the, you know, with the crunchy guitars. Oh, yeah. And I thought that this was going to be like, yeah, it's not, but that's okay. It's just that this is such, this may be my favorite Olivia Newton-John song ever. I think it's fabulous from first second to the time it fades out. And I even like the little part at the end where you know it goes for the first couple of choruses it goes and a little more love is what pending and then it goes and then at the end she goes and a little more love it's a high, uh... <laughs> she goes a little bit high uh when she repeats it at the end and i always remember that i remembered it four or five years ago and it's not brilliant but it's smart because it shows that it's not just repetitive. Oh, we're not just going through the motions here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a huge difference for me. If you're doing a thing, uh, you know, uh, same form or riff like four or eight times, uh, if you're building it there, that uh, that's huge. If you're just doing the same thing over, mostly it doesn't work for yeah, me. It, you're right. uh, it's just uh, you're you're killing time on stage. That's what I mean. Yeah, killing yeah. time. Yeah. 
Um, and then never enough. Uh, the next song is 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 okay. Uh, but it's the three songs at that end it, along with a little more love. That that really got totally hot. I just love this little girl voice that she has. Yeah, that's she one of the ones. She is so I... excited to sing. She squeaks in this song with with giddiness. You actually hear her squeak with giddiness at the joy of singing yeah. the song. See, that's the point I was going to make about her voice. Is I found she was there that sings the country and western stuff really strong. She's really well with that. Mm-hmm. Venturing into pop, it sounds like she's... Um, uh, I get the impression she doesn't have as much experience singing that stuff as other singers. Because I was hearing some stuff saying, you know, uh, there's other uh, gal singers I think who could sing that better. But uh, the energy she gets across. Oh my God, the energy! <laughs> that's what uh, it's makes like hearing any rock criticism. and roll for the first time, isn't it? That's what you get the feeling <laughs> is that she's never heard rock and roll. And damn it, all she of sounds sudden, happy, and she sounds <laughs> more than happy. She sounds jubilant, and I love that. And you're right because on the first side, she does uh, what she's expected to do, which is a perfect sounding song, country song, dancing round and round, which she sings impeccable. But she's never allowed to be let loose. You know yeah. what I mean? And so totally hot just blew me away. She just is just so infectious. Then you don't think that this girl can sing like I didn't. Like I knew she could sing, but I mean not like a Mariah Carey or a, a Whitney Houston or, or anything like that. I thought she can carry a tune and she has that little, that, that next door neighbor voice and she gets the uh, persona across. I didn't think that she was a great singer. She sings the shit out of Boats Against the Current, a song by Eric Carmen, which, by the way, is a fantastic song. But I'm I, I'm serious. She, she sings the shit out of it. <laughs> She's an absolutely amazing version of singing your heart out, but not overdoing it with vocal gymnastics. Just giving all that she had. And I was moved. I was visibly moved. By her vocal on both sides yeah. of the current, and then I got to finish up because I know you got to say we're going to run. I just said the vocal gymnastics uh-huh. that they're done that other people do they can be a bit of a distraction. It's Go a ahead. distraction, and but her singing was just her loudness, and I didn't know she had that loudness, but it's an emotional yeah. loudness. She got into the song like she was going to cry that she was singing so hard, but it was it was for the song purpose. It's like she inhabited the whole character of the song which these other singers to me don't do they just yes. sing it as well as they possibly can but they don't get into the emotional have of the lyrics be the person that the song is about if it's a character that's song that's what Olivia does that's what Olivia does in songs that you think yeah. oh, oh if not for you and let me be there and I think that's yeah. why she worked uh, as an actress in Greece yeah, yeah I think so too and then I'm going to make a bold statement and say that the last song on the album which is the old Spencer Davis group song, which I love, Give Me Some Lovin', is just as good as the original. And I'll tell you why. This song, I have never heard a singer that sounded so jubilant. Yes, she sounds like she's definitely doing this song for fun. You know what it sounds like? Not having fun, but doing it for fun. For fun, fun. for fun. (laughs) I don't care if you guys don't want to do this song, I gotta do the song type of thing. (laughs) And I'm telling you, first of all, again, she squeaks in this song because she's so excited. Uh, second, you know what she sounds like? And I mean this in the best possible way. Like when you go to a, a, a bar and the band's playing 
and there's a pretty girl and she's not drunk but she's had a couple of drinks so she's feeling good but she's not drunk and then she hears this song that she loves and she just starts singing it with, away, with everybody yeah. gets carried away and just is is carried away with the music and you just when you're at the bar and I've seen many girls like that and you just look at them and you go wow like they just are so inhabited by that song and they're so happy because they're feeling good because they've had a couple of drinks that you have to feel good too. <laughs> like it I'm glad this woman off. is yes. having such a good time. This is what she's like on Gimme's. She had. She sounds. I know she has it, but she sounds like he's had a few drinks. She's heard this coming out of the speakers, and she goes, "Fuck! I want to sing that song." <laughs> and she is as exuberant as I've ever heard a woman singer sing a song, and it's so infectious that I'm full of joy after this is over. And I swear to God, I know a lot of people love Give Me Some Lovin' from the Spencer Davis group. But if this isn't just as good a version, if not a little bit better, I'd like to hear your reason why. Yeah, the first couple <laughs> of times I listened to it, I was preferring either the uh, the Spencer Davis or the Blues Brothers version. And uh, But uh, by about the third or fourth time I was uh, hearing it, uh, yeah, she was fun to listen to. Oh, she is. <laughs> she is that girl next door who you would love to talk to. Uh, who you would love to have a couple of drinks with because she has that exuberance. Uh, she doesn't have that diva-like thing about her, you know, that the other singers have, the other women singers that I, we've been talking about. She just exuberance like... Uh, yeah, she a seems a lot girl. Ni nicer. Yeah, she's <laughs> like a nice girl that just hears music and says, I got to do that because it's fun. <laughs> These other singers don't do that for me. These singers do that... They give me the impression that they picked that song because it would make them look really good. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. that'll be a hit single. That'll be a hit single. And she, to me, is like, oh, when she sings Totally Hot and Give Me Some Lovin' and she squeaks because she's so excited, <laughs> I it, it just throws me. It just throws me. It's just like, wow. There's something about when, when, when beautiful girls make squeaky noises. Because yeah. <laughs> they're so excited. Yeah. There is something. Stop what you're doing. There and... is something sexually huh. exciting that's, about that's... it. That's beautiful. I will admit. <laughs> I didn't want to get to that part, but there is there is something about that. But it it's, just it draws the ear. A it male draws ear, the ear. The man's ear. It does. But it's also endearing because I just keep on thinking of those girls yeah. that just get carried away by the music and also, in the bands. When I think a lot of the uh, the other female noises I hear in my life by comparison. <laughs> <laughs> Yelling at you? Yeah. Robert! Um, Why, thank you, you great big ball of negative energy. Thank you. So even though... There are some, and it's not a work of art. This is not meant to be a work of art. These no, albums, this is these albums, and that took me a couple of, of of days to get used to because we did some serious jazz albums and stuff like that. And uh, sometimes you have to listen to an album that some albums are not they're they're meant to sell well, but they're also meant to uh, not be artistic. What's the word I'm looking for? But to be more oh, artistically successful than maybe they were before, like with their albums, but not necessarily making an Abbey Road type statement. Yeah. And you have to accept uh, Olivia's music for what it is, which is commercial music, uh, sometimes with, with mundane lyrics uh, and sometimes with overproduction. But Olivia always shines through, sometimes with subpar uh, material. Yes, and I find she's the, uh, the the high point on the music uh, of the album because the actual music itself I didn't find um, uh, either the way it was played or... Actually, the writing was not too bad. But the playing was perfectly studio safe. 
Oh, I agree. I, I had oh, the one, I agree. The one comment here, I had said, uh, the music is what I'd expect from a good karaoke recording. Oh, you're right. I was even going to comment on that, and I'm glad you said it. There's even horns in a couple songs which are kind of almost put in so low that you know they're there, but they don't want you to know that they're really up front. <laughs> yeah. And that kind of bugs me, but Olivia takes you away from all that. Yes, and, and, and the reason all the backing music is like that is because this whole album, the whole music is there to back Olivia. Right. She is the one that uh, you're there to hear, and uh, fortunately, she carries it. Mm-hmm. So stuff like that just doesn't matter. She carries this album. You know, she does. And it's not that the production is bad. It's not. No, it's, it's good. It, it's, it's just, good. it's safe. It's it's safe. You can't get it's uh, safe. safer than the this. The only song that isn't safe is A Little More Love, which has the distorted guitars. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. It's, and everything about it is perfect. Other than that, all the music behind her is, I can't think of any other word than safe. I really can't. It's just, let Livia do the work. Just... Hide in the back. Yeah, you don't hear any uh, imaginative drum fills or uh, guitar licks. Or exactly. It's, they're just they're playing right along to back up the singer. Exactly. And Was there anything else you wanted to say? Not about good or bad. That's just what it is. Let me see. Uh, okay, I mentioned the lyrics. Uh, kind of. Uh, it was about my only real criticism. Idea uh, is mentioning um, the, her voice on the, the some of the uh, the. Uh, the uh, the non-country song sometimes when she gets up higher her voice loses a bit of strength <clears throat> uh, which like I say with a lot of other singers might be a bit more of a criticism but uh, it, it, with her it, it, her charm I know. there's a lot more you to know, Olivia that's so than funny. her singing I was thinking that too <laughs> is that her charm cover-ups a hell of a lot of deficiencies <laughs> <laughs> And it really does. She has a way of turning a line. She has... That's a good singer. Mm -hmm. Opposed to what we've always talked about, about a vocalist and a singer. A singer, first of all, inhabits a song, which she does. And they can also turn a a mediocre line into something a little bit more. Even when she does that thing in A Little More Love, where she raises it up a little bit at the end, is a very smart vocalist move. A very smart singer move. Yeah. You know? And, uh, yeah. She's charming to the to the nth degree on this mostly because she's allowed to do a couple of fun songs on here and she I, I can't say this enough she sounds like she's about to burst she's so happy <laughs> and he makes you happy yeah and because she has that girlfriend thing that you think oh she could be my girlfriend and look she's so happy because yeah. you always want your girlfriend to be happy and that's <laughs> that's kind of what it is she says she's so nice I'm glad that she's happy <laughs> well, you'd be happy coming home from work to someone like that <laughs> you would um, anything else uh, not really but uh, I think overall I uh, rated the album uh, fair to good I think it has a few uh, the songs which really stand out, but a lot of the songs didn't grab me as much as, uh, but her singing does. She is the uh, the strong thing on this album. So what's your rating then? That's an interesting. You said fair to good. Fair to good. I'm gonna go as high as three and a half because. Oh uh, okay. I thought you were gonna. I thought you were gonna give it a low. Uh, two. Uh, no no no. Because <laughs> when you said fair to good, I was going. I was oh. thinking earlier three to th- well, well three, but uh, the I do the, the, like I said, it has a few songs uh, that really grab me and uh, 
and her personality is the other thing. Yeah. Uh, it's, I think I agree with you. I think uh, there's a couple she songs has I could life do without. And vivaciousness and spark. I know and bubbliness. Just, you know what you said, which is the perfect <laughs> word. This album is, of course, the album is totally Olivia. It is. It is yeah. just Olivia. She she makes this album, but as you said, charm. Yeah. There's there's a hundred percent charm, which makes this album to me a three and a half very good album. If this was anybody else, I probably would have given this at the most a three. Yeah, I got to thinking about the movies, about, you know, uh, when Arnold Schwarzenegger was doing movies. I mean, he never won an Academy Award, but you still always love to look forward to going to see his movies. That's a good point. Uh, She's never going to win a, a demonstrative singing contest, as far as her voice is concerned. But... She's, She's always going to be up there definitely as one of the most be popular singers ever. Right, exactly. We both agree 100%. So you're like, this is just like a, me and you batting the ball back to each the other. The album was pretty good. Olivia's great. Yeah, you know what? And we miss her. And, you know, too bad people have to go. Yeah. But Stupid uh, passage of time. I know. I love Olivia. We thought this is a very good album. We both give it three and a half stars. And uh, God bless you. No. So uh, that's it for today's show. Totally enjoyed it. <laughs> and that's the furnace that just came on. <laughs> I didn't even notice. That's the furnace coming on, which means our landlord wants us to leave. Okay, we're going. <laughs> so, we're done. So we uh, will be, I got to tell you for next week, hold on a second. Next week, we'll be celebrating. I feel like there's this big claw coming out to, to, to <laughs> take hook. us a big foot to big come uh, out. Big cane there. <laughs> All right, you fellas, you've had enough. Uh, oh, we're the boys We'll the be chorus. celebrating uh, the Cross, the one and only David Crosby next week. So don't miss that episode. And I will tell you the story of how Rob, David Crosby, and a donkey were arrested in Mexico. But you'll have to tune in next week. And it was most of the donkey's fault. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, everybody, take care and stay safe. Uh -uh. <laughs>